So what comes to mind when you think about the story of Jonah? As a kid, the story of Jonah was like one of my all-time favorites. And I remember sitting in Sunday school and the, the teacher would be telling the story and moving these cutout figures on a flannel graph. And there might be some in here that don't know what a flannel graph is. Just think of that as a, a primitive multimedia presentation. Well, anyway, she, she would move these figures around and my mind would just be filled with these images of a violent storm, uh, a great big fish, and a hungry caterpillar. And even though these things are part of the story, that's not what the story is about. And even though the book is named after him, Jonah's not the hero of the story. God is. And so uh, this morning, I want us to go beyond what we think we know about the story of Jonah and allow the Holy Spirit to give us a greater understanding of God's amazing grace and his unexpected mercy. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that <clears throat> the eyes of our understanding would be opened this morning. Lord, that we would see a greater glimpse into your character, into your unfailing love, your grace, and how you don't give up on us, but you extend mercy to us. And so this morning, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. Teach us, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. And so, <laughs> I thought I heard somebody say it was a call from God. <laughs> we'll get into that later. I thought you got my notes. So first of all, before I get started, let me just give you a brief historical introduction into the story. First of all, Jonah was a real person. He was a well-known and respected prophet, along with Hosea and Amos in the 8th century BC. And we see mention of him in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, where we read, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Label Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hepfer. Now, Gath-Hepfer was a small village in Lower Galilee, just north of Nazareth. Nazareth might sound familiar to you because that's where Jesus grew up until he started his ministry. And so Jonah prophesied that Israel was going to expand her borders, expand her, her boundaries, and, and it happened just the way that he prophesied that it would. And so the people thought, well, maybe God is finally going to bless Israel and this is going to make us the, the most prominent nation in the known world. And maybe just Jonah's prophecy, maybe that's just the beginning of it. You see, Israel was in the beginning of an economic boom like they hadn't seen since the reign of King Solomon. Money was pouring in, people were getting rich, and God was using Jonah, so they thought, to give Israel everything that it wanted. But there was a problem. Although Israel was a great nation, just across the desert, over in the east, was another nation, Assyria. And it was growing just as strong and just as rich as Israel. 
And the two of them were rivals. They were in competition, as it were. And if one of them grew any uh, more, then there would probably be a war and only one nation would survive. And from history, we know that the Assyrians were one of the most ruthless nations ever to exist. They were proud. They were extremely brutal. And their atrocities were horrific. And during this time, the capital of Assyria was the great city of Nineveh. And that brings us to our story. Jonah chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And so our first point is we see a calling. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now throughout the Bible we see uh, ways that God has delivered his message. He speaks to us through his written word, and he speaks to us through that inner, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And God can speak to us through the counsel of godly men and women. And at times, God has used an audible voice. We also see in Scripture where God has uh, spoken to individuals through angels, through dreams, visions, even circumstances. And, but we're not told whether Jonah heard God's audible voice or it came through a different uh, method. But what I can tell you from my own experience is that sometimes God's call is unexpected. Now, I doubt that on this particular morning, Jonah was sitting out by the pool you know, enjoying one of those alfresco breakfasts. And I bet he wasn't expecting at that moment to hear God's calling. But the word of the Lord came again to Jonah. And this time, it wasn't about prospering Israel, but it was about sending a warning to an enemy about God's impending justice and judgment. No doubt Jonah was aware of how God had sent his judgment on wicked people in the past. In the days of Noah, God sent a flood that destroyed all the inhabitants of the earth except for those that were inside the ark. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed when God rained down uh, brimstone and fire upon them. And so, if it were me, this is just me, I know you guys aren't like this, maybe second service, but if it was just, if it was me and God said in 40 days, I'm going to destroy your enemy, man, I would have been, yes, go God, pour out your wrath, get him, Lord. You know, kind of like that feeling that you get when you're going down the highway and somebody speeds past you and cuts you off erratically and then just zooms on out of sight. Somewhere deep down inside, oh, there's this feeling that rises up. 
and you wish with all your might to see them pulled over on the side of the road just a few miles up the road. Maybe you'd be like me and you'd just slow down. Maybe you'd smile and wave <laughs> as you pass by. But sometimes God's call isn't what we want to hear. Imagine the same scenario. Car is sped past you. They're going out of sight. But this time, God has given you their cell phone number. And he's instructed you to warn them that two miles up the road, there's a highway patrol, and he's monitoring traffic. And they should slow down, or they might receive a citation. Well, God told Jonah to go and warn the people of Nineveh that in 40 days, they would be overthrown. Now, this word overthrown is interesting is that it has two, a dual meaning. It can be external in the sense of destruction, like in Sodom and Gomorrah. Or it can be internal, uh, meaning to be repentant, as in a broken and contrite heart. And Jonah's aware of God's character. We read in Exodus, the Psalms, Book of Joel, and throughout the scripture how God is gracious, how he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in love. And Jonah knew that if the people of Nineveh repented, they would receive mercy. And so Jonah is confronted with a point number two, a choice. Isn't it interesting that God always gives us a choice? And that's part of having that free will. That's part of his love, his compassion, is he gives us that ability to choose. And so Jonah has a choice. God told Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. But verse 3 of chapter 1 says that Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. That's just fun to say. Say it with me, Tarshish. Wow. So he went down to Joppa, and it just so happened that there's a ship right there going to Tarshish, the farthest point away from where he was supposed to go. It says that he bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by selling to Tarshish. So what we're seeing is that Jonah tried to run away from God. Why would he do that? Well, God told him to get up and go. But Jonah got up and he ran away. Have you ever felt like running away? There are two times in my life when I've wanted to run away. One of the times I was performing this routine um, install on one of our storage arrays, I was adding a, a shelf of drives to it, and I made a simple cabling mistake, and it caused the controllers to panic, and 250 servers on our network suddenly could not get to their drives. It took two and a half hours to recover from that, but what makes it worse is after the smoke had cleared, I'm coming up from the, the data center that's down in the basement. I'm going back up to the second floor where my desk is. 
And the elevator stops on the first floor. And in steps the president of our corporation. And so it's just me and him in the elevator. And the door shuts. And he turns to me and he says, Mike, what exactly happened? And I had to confess to him that it was all my fault. It was like being in one of those candy bar commercials. You know, want to get away? But the very first time that I, I wanted to run away, I was maybe five or six. I didn't want to clean my room. And I remember taking out my big chief notebook. I don't know if any of you are familiar with those. I took out my big chief notebook and in my best five-year-old penmanship, I wrote a note expressing my intention to run away. And with tear-filled eyes, I handed it to my mom, fully expecting that she would just hug me and say, my darling son, I was wrong to, to think that you should have to clean your room. But mom didn't show any emotion as she read the note. Instead, she got a paper sack, and she neatly packed a change of clothes. She put in a toy car, a, a stuffed animal, and she even packed some cookies, you know, just until I could get back on my feet. And I remember the remorse as I walked out the front door as my mom was waving goodbye to me. We lived in a small trailer park here in Oracle, and just outside of our, our front gate, about 25 feet from the front door, there was an empty lot. And so I sat down under this tree, and I'm crying, and I'm eating my cookies. And, and mom, she would look out the kitchen window from time to time to check on me. And man, my heart was just breaking. I couldn't stand it any longer. And finally, like the prodigal son, I came to my senses, and it had probably been about 10 minutes that I'd been on my own, and <laughs> I decided that I was going to go back home, I was going to ask forgiveness and clean my room. True story. Now, there's been other people in the Bible that have been hesitant to obey God's word. We see people like Moses Elijah, Jeremiah, they all argued with God. But Jonah bluntly refused to obey. He had convinced himself that he was right and was determined not to carry out God's orders. He was aware that God was extending mercy to Israel's enemy. And he didn't want anything to do with it. He did not want God to listen to the prayers of the Ninevites. And so he decided to physically remove himself from the scene by running away. But you know what? At least Jonah was honest about it. So often, we agree to do God's will, but we end up going our own way. We pray for guidance, but our attitude is really, Lord, Please show me your will so I can decide whether or not I want to do it. Have you ever thought, 
boy, it'd be great if God would just clearly and audibly direct me in the direction I should go and, and what I should do. How many have ever prayed for a job opening and these different doors start opening up? It would be nice to have an audible voice from God saying, go here, do that. Well, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but he chose not to listen. God told Jonah to go east, 550 miles, to Nineveh. But Jonah traveled the opposite direction. He went west to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away on the coast of Spain. He was told to travel to a city, but we see that he headed out to sea. He was told to stand up and preach, but as we'll see in the story, he lies down and he falls asleep. How disobedient can you be? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, when they tried to hide from God, Jonah foolishly thinks that he can run away from God. Psalm 139 shows how futile it is to think that we can run from God. The psalmist wrote, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. See, God doesn't give up on us. He could have easily just let Jonah right off into the sunset. Sun does set in the west, right? Yes. So he's right off into the sunset. <laughs> but he didn't give up on him. He pursued him. He could have had another prophet take his message to Nineveh. But he continues to pursue Jonah. And as Jonah is traveling aboard this cargo ship, we read how the Lord caused this great storm to come up out of the sea and how it was beating against the boat, threatening to tear it apart. And these professional sailors are terrified. And they begin to toss their cargo overboard even though it meant that they wouldn't get paid because they only received their pay when the cargo reached the destination. And we find that in the rage of the storm when the, the sailors are, are running about and they're, they're praying out to their, their gods to save them and, and the storm just gets worse, we find that down in the bottom of the ship, Jonah is asleep. And so the sailors awaken him, and they question him. How can you sleep at a time like this? And Jonah reveals that he's running away from God. 
And they ask, well, who are you? Where do you come from? Who are your people? And Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. When the sailors heard this, they were terrified. Did you hear this? Jonah worships God who made the sea. And if he would pray, then the true God that made the sea is the God who would calm the sea. And so they're terrified. Why did you do it, they said. And since the storm was getting all the worse, they asked, what should we do to you to calm this storm? Now, the logical thing would be for Jonah to say, oh, just turn the boat around, go ahead back to Nineveh, and, and everything will be okay for you. Well, you go your way, I'll go my way. But instead, he says, throw me overboard. They're out here in the middle of the sea. And he says, throw me overboard, and the sea will become calm again, because I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. You see, Jonah would rather die than see God have mercy on someone that he thought didn't deserve God's mercy. Sailors feared that the God who was causing this storm would turn his fury on them if they killed his prophet. And so they tried even harder to roll the boat to, to shore, but it was no use. And so finally the, the sailors uh, pleaded, they prayed, oh Lord, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. Can you imagine that? Here you are in the middle of this typhoon. If they have typhoons on the way to Tarshish, I don't know. Uh, but he, this raging storm, they throw them overboard, and all of a sudden, it's like going to the lake and just, man. And what we see here is that these pagan sailors, they see the awesome power of God they know that their pagan gods were powerless to do anything about this storm. But by praying to God, throwing this prophet overboard, God calmed the sea. And so they worship him. They give him a sacrifice and they vow to serve him. Here Jonah is, he's defiant. He's shaking his fist as God, thinking, all right, just Kill me, throw me overboard. And God uses this situation to save all of those sailors. God had unexpected mercy upon them. And our third point is, God's a compassionate God. You know, there's a pattern that we see in Scripture where when we try to run away from God, it begins this downward spiral in our lives. Not just physically. I mean, you can get into some really messed up things physically, but spiritually, you begin to spiral downward. We see that Jonah 
went down to Joppa in order to get away from God. And at first, it appears like everything is going okay. There just happened to be a ship right there. What are the odds that he can get on it and escape? We see that Jonah went down into the bottom of the ship and he fell asleep. He wasn't even aware of the storm that was threatening to destroy not only his life, but the life of the sailors on board. You see, our sin doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us. Sailors throw him over, and so we see that he goes down into the sea. But God didn't give up on Jonah. And God doesn't give up on us. He always pursues us. And his desire is that we would come to him. And it's amazing just how creative God will be at times to get our attention and to bring us back into right standing with him. Verse 17 says that the Lord prepared this great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So now we see that he goes down into the belly of this fish. There was a teacher, and she was giving a lesson to her fifth grade students about the ocean and, and whales and all the creatures that live in the sea. And little Johnny raised his hand and said, teacher, I learned in Sunday school that Jonah was swallowed up whole by a whale. And the teacher forthrightly told the, the students that that's impossible. A whale's throat is not large enough for a human being to be swallowed whole. Jonah said, or the little boy said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah if this is true and what it was like. <laughs> teacher said, well, what if Jonah didn't make it to heaven? The little boy said, well, then I guess you can ask him. Well, we don't know if this was a well or what it was, but we do know that God prepared this fish. That was the mission of this fish, to be there at the right moment, to swallow up Jonah and deliver him safely and vomit him out on the shores. And so Jonah is given a second chance. And he decides he's going to go to Nineveh. And he delivers a... I guess in English, it's eight-word message. In, in Hebrew, it's a five-word sermon. And basically, it's in 40 days, God's going to destroy you. Repent. Except he leaves off that repent part. He just goes there and he preaches, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed or overthrown. And like I said, that overthrown has that dual Meaning, it can mean to be destroyed, but it can also mean to be broken, to re be repentant. In 40 days, you'll be overthrown. And wouldn't you know it that when the Ninevites heard this, they repented. Yeah, we should. We would be praising the Lord, rejoicing. But what does, what does Jonah do? 
He gets upset. He says, this is why I didn't want to go there in the first place. He throws a fit that I knew you were a compassionate God and you were slow to anger and if they would repent that you would hold back your hand from, from them and, and that's why I ran away to Tarshish. And so he sits there on this hill and he makes a little shelter for himself just hoping that God's going to destroy him. And he, he's waiting there and, and God causes this plant to grow up beside him and, and it produces these leaves and, and oh, it's a nice shade. And he's just there thanking God. Oh, thank you for this plant. And then God causes this hungry caterpillar to come in and eat this plant and it withers and it falls over and Jonah is upset and, and God says, why are you upset? Are you that upset? He says, yes, I'm upset. I want to die. God's like, are you kidding me? I'm sending you to Nineveh where there's 120,000 souls that need to hear this word or this gospel, the good news. And you're concerned and you're all upset about this plant that you had nothing to do with, that grew up in one day and was gone the next, and you're more concerned and upset about that than you are about these people that don't know me. And so what we see is God can use anybody. He used a rebellious prophet to bring a message to the Ninevites. And I mean, they didn't just repent. They, they went overboard. They, they had this, fa this feast, the fast, fast. Better to fast, not the feast. They had a, a fast. And they even commanded the the, the king said, put your animals in sackcloth. Don't give them water or food, and you don't eat or drink either. God had mercy, unexpected mercy, because he was ready to wipe them out. But because they repented and they turned to him, God relented. He gave them a second chance. What we see from history is that the Ninevites, they didn't stop worshiping their pagan gods. They didn't stop their violence. But at this moment, God gave them a second chance. We see Jonah. The story of Jonah just kind of ends open-ended. Open it doesn't say that Jonah repented, went back to... to I, where was he from? Gath Hafshif. Go back home and, and everything, it all ended happily ever after. It doesn't tell us that. It ends with him being upset because this caterpillar ate this plant. And God just saying, are you kidding me? God can use anybody. And he calls you and me to partner with him, to join him in this ministry of reconciliation. And so maybe you're here and you've been running from God. And running away from God can, it can look different to different individuals. Jonah was blunt about it. 
He just rebelled and ran away from God. But in my life, I thought I was serving God, but I had just wandered away, just drifted. Not even realizing that I was running away from God. But God is compassionate upon us. He doesn't give up on us. He says, come to me. And my prayer today is that we wouldn't be stubborn like Jonah and try to run from God. Or try to go in our own direction. But we'd be more like Isaiah that says, here I am, Lord. Use me. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we read that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want that anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And God's grace is truly amazing in that it comes to all. It didn't just come to Jonah. We see pagan sailors and, and wicked, ruthless Ninevites that God's grace was extended to them and it doesn't stop there. God's grace came to us and continues to come to us. And the question is, will we be amazed by God's grace or will we be offended by it? Truthfully, sometimes I think our attitude is a lot like Jonah's. We're thankful that God has been merciful towards us. And when we enjoy his blessings... But when we see him reaching out to others that we don't think deserve his grace, we set ourselves up like a judge and condemn them instead of seeing that God's grace abounds to all who would come to him. And God, God desires that we run to him and that we partner with him. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, come to me, all you who are, who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." Are we willing to extend the same love and grace and mercy that we have received from the God? Are we willing to extend that to others? God's inviting us to join him in this work of reconciliation. To go into the world and share this good news that Jesus, God's only son, came into this world to bring us back into right standing with God through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We all have that ministry. And God's calling us as his family to accomplish that. That's why he has the church. And he's given the church the mission to go into all the world. Take this good news. Make disciples Baptize them, 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perhaps God's been speaking to you this morning, bringing to mind the name or maybe the face of an individual that he would like to share the love of Christ with, to share this good news that forgiveness for sin and eternal life is available to everyone who places their trust in Jesus. Maybe you've been running away like Jonah. You've been trying to live independently of Christ and a storm has surrounded you and is threatening to tear you apart. Your life's been spiraling downwards and you find yourself at your lowest point. It's like the parable of the lost sheep that wandered away from the good shepherd. What does it say that the good shepherd did? says, won't he leave the 99 others and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders and call together his friends and his neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. To find that which is lost the shepherd had to go to where the sheep is. The sheep had wandered away and had gone to its lowest point. And we see that God came to earth in flesh and blood. He lived a sinless life and he took our sin upon his own shoulders and he carried that burden that penalty the penalty of sin is death and he willfully went to the cross and paid that price that ransom to bring us back into right standing with God the apostle John tells us that those that place their trust in Jesus that God gives them the power to become children of God God doesn't give up with, on us. He's gracious, full of compassion, always patient, and he continues to pursue us, going even to those lowest places to bring us back into fellowship, into right standing with him. He doesn't come condemning but he comes with compassion and love. So stop running from God. Change your direction and start running to God. If this describes you today and you're ready to change your direction, I'd like to lead you in a, a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart, into your life right now, right where you're sitting. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I need you in my life. And I open my heart to Jesus today. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he died on the cross for all my sins. And I believe that he rose from the dead on the third day, just like the Bible said he would. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me and loving me. And I choose to follow you 
Jesus from this day forward. Now, Lord, I pray a blessing upon each one that is here as we begin a new week. May we be aware of your holy presence. May we hear your voice. And may our lives exhibit your love and grace towards others. In Jesus' name, amen.